How would you like to ramp up your club's game day atmosphere? Big Screen Video is giving 10 lucky sports clubs the chance to win a $10,000 grant towards their own digital scoreboard. Register now at iCanWin.com.au slash BSV. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsible. You call 1-800-858-858. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand. Good morning to you all. And uh, it's a busy Monday morning in review, really. Plus, we'll keep you uh, up to date with what's happening with uh, Lydia Co. as she uh, is at this stage enjoying a one-shot lead, but it's a pretty tenuous one. It hasn't been uh, perfect golf, slightly difficult conditions, but not Lydia at her best today, I think that's fair to say. Uh, very shortly, we'll be talking to Jamie Wall, actually, and uh, Jamie's coming to us uh, from England. Uh, he was uh, at the match at Twickenham, so uh, his comments on that will be uh, appreciated. Uh, just after uh, 9.20 this morning, we'll have a little quick review of uh, the Black Caps and their loss to uh, India. Um, that was uh, quite a surprise, really. Um, and in the end, it was quite a heavy loss. Jacob Spoonley after 9.30 this morning. And Jacob, of course, a former all-white goalkeeper. And uh, he's also um, a pundit on Sky Sport with his take on the Wellington Women Phoenix yesterday. Uh, quite a historic day for them yesterday, but not a great result. And the World Cup as well. So we'll talk to Jacob about that. Uh, we'll give you the opportunity to call us and perhaps win um, an Oklahoma Joe's Blackjack Charcoal Kettle Grill. Thanks to Ava Living because you could become our caller of the month. I would imagine there's uh, quite a few of you who would like to have a bit of a crack at that all-black performance. The panel uh, might want to do that as well. That's Aidan McLaughlin and Mark Hinton. Uh, and then Jimmy Smith after 11 o'clock. Now, Jimmy is uh, an LRL commentator, and he's been filling in as, as well for Vossi and co., uh, whilst I've been uh, away at the World Cup overseas. So uh, we will do that. And uh, we'll talk to Aroha as well uh, about Formula One. Just uh, around about 11.20 this morning, We'll have a stump smithy um, and a look at what's coming up in the World Cup before uh, midday today. So quite a busy Monday morning. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, for me, just as the All Black season was revived and given the chance to resurrect in the final 10 minutes at Alice Park earlier this year, the same time span defines the season overall. A 10-minute horror show at Twickenham. 24 hours ago. It will haunt Ian Foster and co. Surely, if the 25-all draw doesn't feel like a loss, it should. And unless my mind is playing tricks on me, wasn't Bowden Barrett in the bin on both occasions? Isn't that just a, a little bit eerie? Normally you would say, Bledisloe Cup locked away. Rugby Championship locked away. And an unbeaten Northern Tour would be a raging success. But it just doesn't feel like it does. It. Those losses uh, to Ireland stung and to Argentina as well. That really did cut to the quick. Very painful history-making flops. Still question marks over the leadership exist. Tactics clearly. And are we any closer to knowing if we have the right men for the job and the right jersey numbers in around 10 months' time? In essence, are we much better off? Is there any less head-scratching going on 12 months down the track? Do we feel any different than we did 12 months ago when the latest chapter began. I don't know if we do. I don't know how we can. And here's one to mull over over the next summer months as well. Just because you have eight replacements available to you, do you always have to use them? I mean, if it's ticking over nicely, can't it just keep ticking over nicely? 
that's the attitude. Settle for the draw. Yep, it looks like it. England happy with the draw. As Marcus Smith kicks it into touch. Wow, what a game of rugby that was. The All Blacks led by 25 to 6. And this man, Will Stewart, the prop, scored a couple of tries. Freddie Stewart scored a try. And what we finish up with at Twickenham is a 25-all draw. Yeah, we certainly do, Nisbo. Uh, the All Blacks have ended their uh, 2022 season with that 25-all uh, draw against England. They put a funny-looking bow on what's been a turbulent time for Ian Foster and his side. Once leading 25-6 with 10 minutes to play, a Bowden Barrett yellow card, and 28 penalties later, blown by French referee Mathieu Reynald, the English came storming back. And joining us now from the UK is the favourite of the show who's been following uh, the All Blacks on tour, Jamie Wall. Jamie, uh, good morning to you, New Zealand time. Good evening over there. Yeah, good morning, Smithy, and good evening from, from London. It's, uh, it's been a pretty um, interesting tour, I can tell you that much. It has been an interesting one and uh, became very, very interesting in the, the last 10 minutes, so about 24 hours ago. Um, just feels like a loss to me. I, I can't look at it any other way. No, I think you're not alone in that. I think the All Blacks definitely feel the same way as well. I mean, if you, I think the the general analysis of a draw is that if you're the team that was ahead um, going going into the last 10 minutes and you're the one that ends up on, on a drawing side, then yeah, you should probably feel like a loss because really they should have locked that game up uh, long before... England came back and scored uh, three tries at the end there. They absolutely fell to bits in that last 10 minutes. And, I mean, really, for a game that had a great first 10 minutes by the All Blacks, um, a fantastic last 10 minutes by uh, the English, um, there's not really much else to, to say about the game. It was actually a pretty forgettable test match. I mean, thanks to the um, referee trying to turn into a game of netball. Uh, but, mm. yeah, I, it's like you alluded to uh, in, your, in your little sermon um, before, uh, we really we really needed a full stop on this season. We really needed a full stop, and instead we got another question mark. Mm. Absolutely. Well put. Well put. And the crowd seemed divided too over, over the option of Marcus Smith uh, kicking the ball into touch and taking the draw when England were on such a, a good roll. Oh, I don't think they were divided. I think they were pretty pretty much to a man um, disappointed uh, with that. Um, and they weren't alone because um, his teammates uh, certainly uh, showed the body language of exasperation when that happened. And uh, Eddie Jones um, in the aftermatch didn't exactly endorse the decision either. Uh, so, you know, interesting one there for them. But I think really, though, um, while, while I'm sure Eddie would have wanted them to continue on and push for the win, uh, you know, they're pretty happy with getting away with that, they're pretty lucky, uh, to be fair, because, um, you know, despite a good second-half performance, like I said, the All Blacks had done more than enough to win that game, and uh, they came out um, with, with, a, with a draw. So I think the English should be quite quite happy with that. But, yeah, there's a few storylines from both sides coming out of that game. You know, obviously, once again, it sort of vindicated Eddie Jones's methods um, because, you know, one thing he's been really big on um, is the use of his bench, um, and you have to say they completely outplayed the All Black bench uh, with uh, Will Stewart coming on and scoring a couple of tri crucial tries there and just basically taking the game away from the All Blacks at the end. Yeah, the use of the bench is an interesting one because, and, and you know, it's something I've been mulling over for quite some time. 
why make an international rugby, important international rugby, why make changes for the sake of making changes when quite clearly uh, things are going quite nicely? If you're leading by that margin with, uh, with 10 minutes to go, you, you, you kind of think that um, the guys that have done the job or are largely responsible for doing the job should be the ones locking it up for you, don't you? Does it always have to happen that way? Uh, well, I actually look at it from the other point of view, Smithy. I, I, I feel like that bench got given a pretty simple task uh, to to carry out, which was to go on and, and pretty much just, you know, close the game down, uh, give give the other guys let the other guys play play out a good sixty to seventy minutes there, uh, and and they just couldn't do it. And it's it's really perplexing considering that. They were the ones that won the All Blacks game last week against Scotland. You know, like, we, we would have been talking about another historical loss uh, had the bench not come on and done a really good job um, for the All Blacks at Murrayfield. So I'm really scratching mm-hmm. my head as to why it didn't work like that and why there didn't seem to be a plan around these guys. Like, the way that the Springboks and the English have essentially remodeled the game around uh, the bench coming on and playing specific roles... I have to say, last week when the team got announced, it was a bit odd to see Havili and Leonard Brown on the bench. Why would you take two guys who essentially play in the same position um, on there? Uh, and again, and, and Satutu and Frizzell as well, two very like-for-like players. So it's it was a bit of weird. Um, a lot of that kind of had to do down, down to the fact that the All kind of really would didn't really have anyone else. Um, but really, though, the, I think this is a bit of a coaching thing. Um, that they couldn't kind of get the best out of these guys and give them a role to fulfil coming on. Um, but then again, a lot of it has to do with the players because really when you're up 25-6, um, it's, it's, it's not hard to know what to do. No, it's not. Um, what about the refereeing? This Matthew Raynal, uh, again, the centre of attention. Uh, the Bowden Barrett affair. How did, how did you read the Bowden Barrett yellow card? I mean, I think it was fair because, I mean, he'd been so incredibly pedantic about everything all night. Uh, I think by that stage, you know, really, it was just a matter of time before a card was was coming out. I mean, you know, the the one positive thing that the All Blacks can take out of this game is that they did adapt to the referee a lot faster than the English did in in the first half. And um, you saw that when the All Blacks were getting into the 22, uh, sorry, the English were getting into the 22 and were getting dispossessed and having the ball turned over and the All Blacks could exit. Uh, much like what happened to the Scots at Murrayfield, which I think is something that's actually been a real positive on the tour uh, for the All Blacks is they're in, inside their own 22 defence. Um, and that was just due to them being able to figure out right now a little bit earlier. Obviously, they've had him earlier this year. Um, but then I think that the biggest talking point is not so much the 28 penalties, it's where all the penalties went in the last 20, um, last 10 minutes. Because all of a sudden, it turned into a really good game of rugby, which it hadn't been before. So, I mean, that's that to me is an interesting one because um, we could listen to it on the refs mics. We heard Owen Farrell chirping at uh, Raynal pretty constantly, um, especially after uh, Rico Ioani's try. And part of that, I think, I mean, I don't want to say it, it, it you know, because I was just listening to it, but I, I feel like there was definitely a correlation, if not causation, between a, a few conversations that were had out there by the English to Raynal to from what the game was to what it ended up being. Right, let's look at um, <clears throat> perhaps a couple of uh, performances, uh, individual performances. Uh, Cody Taylor starting at hooker over Tokiaho. How did you read that? Well, I mean, the selection itself wasn't uh, that 
unsurprising. Um, or sorry, that that surprising given that they'd swap these guys in and out um, all year. Uh, and Cody was coming off the back of a very good performance um, last week at Murrayfield, as like I said, as part of that bench uh, squad that came on and closed the game out. Um, but yeah. Uh, I thought, personally, I thought Cody was pretty strong around the field, but just they botched three lineouts in a row. Um, it's it's sometimes a little bit unfair, pardon me, to um, blame, completely blame the hooker for um, bad lineouts uh, because it mm. is a team effort in there. But it was something that he had to work on this year, you know, that, that cost the All Blacks dearly down Christchurch uh, against Argentina. And um, it, it, you know, played a big part in the All Blacks not being up a lot more at half time, which they should have, which probably was the difference between winning and losing the game so yeah i think that you know again cody had put a bit of a full stop on his place in the team going into next year you know you need that veteran uh experience um but again that that one on the weekend just sort of showed like well hang on what's going on here is there someone else to be coming through so again another question mark okay let's look at the the seven jersey Uh, a lot of people saying dalton popper lee was perhaps one of the players of uh, that tour uh, where do you see it uh, with a fit Sam Kane uh, next year? Um, is is Dalton Popoletti done enough to rest that jersey off him or not? That's a fascinating question. Um, I mean, I I personally think he's he's definitely top seven in the country, but I don't think he'll be starting at seven next year when Sam Kane's fit because uh, Ian Foster's uh, pretty much hitched his wagon to Sam Kane. You know, those those two go go hand in hand. And if there's one thing you can say about Foster, is he's he's loyal to his players and he's not going to name a captain this far out and then uh, and then drop him so I mean I personally I you know I'm a fan of Dalton I'm a fan of Sam as well to be fair um, I think he's had a pretty wretched run of injuries um, of late so I think it's going to be a really interesting super rugby season next year but you're, you're right Dalton hasn't put a foot wrong on this tour and can probably come out as the got one guy who's enhanced his reputation um, more than anyone else because he was known as a real blue-collar player that got around and, and did the dirty work, um, but he's had a lot of good ball-and-hand moments on this tour uh, and, um, you know, sh- stood up. And you can really see some s- signs of seniority and leadership in him, despite his uh, relatively young age. Uh, and so, yeah, like I said, Super Rugby is going to be really interesting next year, especially when the Blues play the Chiefs. In terms of uh, the last 12 months of rugby, it has been turbulent. You've been following it. You've been writing about it. Oh, how much progress do you think um, you know Ian Foster and, and his group have made? I mean, if you compare it to 12 months ago, where where do you where do you feel we sit in, in terms of uh, some of those issues? Well, if you look at where they were 12 months ago, they'd lost two tests in a row, like badly, um, and then they've they've come out of this one with you know six wins in a row and a draw so I think results wise you can definitely say that they're in a better place than they were this time last year um how they got there though that's that's another question um I think that uh, you know the losses to Ireland um lost to Argentina lost to South Africa um, were results of just I guess poor planning um I think there's been some real selection issues going on I think that you know uh, a lot of the combinations um, and, and and things just haven't really been that well thought through, uh, especially you know when it comes in terms of like what's the best matchup for an opposition like Ireland or like South Africa, uh, mm. and so and I and I also think that a lot of the success stories we've seen in terms of players, um, and let's just say for example the front row of Ethan De Groot, uh, props of um, Ethan De Groot and uh, Tyrell Lomax, that was more of an accident rather than design. 
um, that that happened because those guys only De Groot was dropped and then he only came back because he was an injury. Um, again, uh, you know, Papali's great form is because Sam Kane was there. Otherwise, he would have been on the bench as well. Uh, and um, Jordy Barrett ending up at 12, which has again been one of the, su- the success stories. And probably now you'd have to say that Jordy's the front runner in the number 12 jersey going forward. Uh, that again was based on injury. And Ian Foster had said at the start of the year, we only see Jordy as a 15. Uh, and then completely walked that back um, when he was selected at 12 and said, no, no, we'd, we'd, uh, we'd always want to have, give him a run there. And what do you know? He turns out to be the best player in the team. Uh, best player in the squad at that position and that's what a lot of people have been saying for a, for a few years now so you know I, I think that a, a, a lot of what's happened that's been good to this All Black team has kind of more fallen on their lap rather than being the result of uh, of good good strategy and, and, and planning but you know that's the New Zealand rugby for you like there are the players out there that can just come in and do a job that's the way it's kind of always been so I think maybe it's a little unfair to just say like oh well you know, Foster's just done this blind, and 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 the good things have just worked out. So, so yeah, it's, it's it is kind of really difficult to know. Um, but I, like I said before, I think they you can safely say they're in a better place than they were this time last year. Okay, it's interesting. Right, the other thing, um, the 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 older legs, are the older legs, they're going to be okay for us in uh, 10, 12 months' time. Uh, great question. I mean, um, we've just seen. Um, this morning, there's some really bad news for TJ Piranaro. He's uh, he's out for nine months with an ACL. Um, so that means that two All Black halfbacks now have done their knees. Um, so that's an interesting selection policy. He, he'd be one of the guys who you'd probably put in that category. Uh, and yeah, I think that there's going to be some real management of guys like um, guys like Sam Whitelock, um, Scott Barrett, etc. Uh, and, and guys in the tight five that need to be fresh um, for the World Cup. So. Uh, we're probably not going to see as much of those guys in Super Rugby as we normally would. I mean, I think that's been definitely sort of on the cards anyway. Uh, but yeah, it's it's going to be. There are there are a few guys who you're like, well, can we just squeeze the last bit of good rugby out of you uh, before you retire? And I don't think that's the right way to be going into a World Cup. I, I really don't. I think you need guys who are kind of you know peaking year on year rather than at the end of a, of a very illustrious career because. If you're relying on guys to be reaching back in time for the form that they once had, um, then you're going to be struggling. Mm, interesting. Um, um, when you uh, look at the other nations, uh, Ireland just uh, sneaking home against uh, Australia have had a fairly wretched season in terms of results. Uh, are they are they in France still clearly uh, at this point? Are they the two teams? I think um, we're probably going to fire. We'll have a better idea uh, about the Springboks and when the, after they play England um, this weekend. But yeah, I think it's safe to say that France and Ireland are still on top. Um, having chatted to some journalists um, up around here, they, of course, they're saying like, "Well, this is what Ireland always do. They they get really good a year out before the World Cup and then blow it once they um, make the quarterfinals of the World Cup itself." Um, but also, I think that the uh, the story of Ireland is, is is the story of Johnny Sexton, as well. Um, his he, he is completely crucial to that team, um, and you saw that in in the series in New Zealand. That you know, even at age of what is he 30, 36, 37 now, um, he pulls all the strings in there, and they really don't have anyone to replace him if if he goes down. So, you know, if something happens to him between now and the World Cup then that's going to dramatically change uh, Irish fortunes. Um, France, on the other hand, I mean, they've shown a, a, a couple of wobbles. Um, 
recently against South Africa and Australia, but I mean they did still win both of those games. So that's a sign of a very good team. And you know, the, this French side has the one thing that you haven't been able to say about French rugby ever, which is they're consistent. So you know, they they very much look like they're taking that consistency into a home World Cup, and you can't discount how important that home ground advantage is going to be for them next year. Jamie Wall, always great to catch up with you. Thanks for your summation there and the summary of uh, what's been a fairly long and eventful year in uh, All Blacks. Uh, we thank you for that and travel safely, mate. Thank you. No problem at all, Smithy. See you soon. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Jamie Wall there out of uh, England on his assessment of that performance and the year in, in general, really. It is 9.23 here on SENZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Smithy's Cricket Update, thanks to Razine, New Zealand's most trusted paint brand. Well, the hottest property in world cricket took New Zealand apart last night, and it's Surya Kumar Yadav. 111 of 51 balls, uh, entertaining a sold-out crowd at uh, Bay Oval. India reaching 191 for six in their 20 overs. Tim Southey, the best of the New Zealand bowlers, with uh, a hat-trick, th- uh, three for 34. Kane Williamson's uh, best of the New Zealand batters with 61 of 52, but compare that as number three to Yadav's 111 of 51. Kane Williamson 50 runs behind him. I'm not saying Kane Williamson... Uh, has uh, got to hit the ball like Yadav does. He has something completely and utterly out of the box. But uh, I think we're still getting examples of um, too many singles, not enough risks. Uh, we need to be a little bit more inventive. Uh, bowled out in the end for 126 after 18.5 overs. So it was pretty average performance, and that was a hiding. Deepak Hooda uh, was lethal with the white ball, taking four for 10, four for 10. Uh, so that's 1-0 up to India. Uh, the first one, of course, was washed out at Sky Stadium. And the third one is at McLean Park, and that is uh, tomorrow here in Napier. And as I look uh, out the window there at the moment, the uh, weather is uh, pretty good. So that was our cricketing update, uh, courtesy of Razine. We can throw a little bit of a golf update in here. Lydia Ko has just teed off the 18th with a two-shot lead. A two-shot lead. Uh, she's uh, had back-to-back birdies, Lydia Ko, so now she has a two-shot lead over Leona Maguire and she has smashed her drive right down the middle so things looking very good for Lydia Ko and Carolyn you're right yeah Jamie Wall did mention that uh, TJ Perinara has done his ACL he's actually done his Achilles absolutely right so uh, that'll take nine months in the making for him to get back on a rugby field at what stage his career will be in nine months with that that kind of a break we do not know but certainly he was playing some reasonable rugby wasn't he TJ Perinara on his return to the All Blacks. It is 9.30, time for Aroha with the news. David Pritchard leading the line today for Wellington Phoenix. And history is made in Wellington as the very first professional women's football match in Aotearoa, New Zealand is underway. Yes, the Phoenix did make history yesterday as the first ever match of professional women's football was played in New Zealand with the Wellington Club hosting Melbourne City and while the result didn't go their way, losing 4-1. The support was there. They hoped for 10,000, but uh, that was perhaps a little bit optimistic. They did get 5,213, which sets a record for a standalone A-League women's match. Hopefully it's a sign of things to come as the season looks to build into next year's FIFA Women's World Cup. 
The Men's World Cup also got underway this morning, so there's uh, plenty on in the football world. When isn't there? And with us now uh, to talk about it is former all-white goalkeeper Jacob Spoonley and, of course, uh, Sky Sport pundit as well. Uh, Jacob, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. It's really great to have you back in the seat, mate. Yeah, nice to be back uh, as well with uh, plenty going on in the uh, beautiful game. Uh, what about that? Uh, 5,213 uh, yesterday for the Wellington Women's Phoenix team. That's uh, not a bad turnout. It's a great turnout. And as you said, Smithy, there was optimism around potentially reaching five figures. Uh, David Dome has been an ambitious target. And it's one I think that the club should continue striving for. We want that fan engagement. We want to see our exciting young team players given an opportunity to play professional football in our own backyard. Um, and the game itself was um, a pretty entertaining one. Goals, um, a little bit of tension as they went into the break at nil-nil. Um, but I just think that this is potentially a game that uh, Natalie Lawrence and her team will look to learn from more than anything. OK, so um, we'll look at uh, that just very shortly. But on the back of the Black Ferns, mm. um, you know, bringing women's sport to the fore in New Zealand, how important then... Uh, is it that the Phoenix uh, and the Football Ferns cash in on that as well? Incredibly important, Smitty, and I think in a, a lot of ways long overdue. Um, it quite literally has been a boys' club for a long stint in um, New Zealand sporting history uh, with a lot of attention focused on the men's teams. And I think that's been a little bit short-sighted um, from a commercial perspective, um, if nothing else. Uh, this, is, this represents a market... Um, this represents stakeholders, consumers of the game, um, and we want to widen the radar. We want to ensure that we provide the the um, the best uh, product possible and also uh, reach the largest audience possible. More than that, though, towards the, the gender equality point, um, these players deserve an opportunity. The Black Ferns uh, in the semi-final and final were simply outstanding. The product that they put on the field, the the tension that they were able to create and then the barriers that they overcame uh, in their opposition alone. Uh, and you saw the emotion that it created for our nation where sport is so important. Put simply, we want to create more moments like that. And Natalie Lawrence um, and her team have the opportunity to take the baton from the Blackburns, hold it for this moment, and then they'll look to pass it on to the uh, Ferns as they prepare for the World Cup. So it really is a truly exciting time for football, but more importantly for the growth that we're seeing in women's sport. And the growth has to be quite um, significant and it has to be well supported, of course, because the biggest uh, women's sporting event to ever hit our country will do this time next year. It's a way that seems to be building and building city. Uh, We've got some wonderful fixtures that we will be hosting uh, in the likes of the USA and the Netherlands, a repeat of a World Cup um, final, which will be occurring in our capital. Uh, I think it's going to happen around about August, so there's every chance that the Dutch and the, uh, the Americans get hit with that infamous Wellington Southerly, but it's going to be a party atmosphere, and I think it's going to contrast quite a bit with what we're seeing play in Qatar at the moment. This is going to be um, a World Cup that where the world truly comes to New Zealand. They're going to bring so much diversity, so much celebration, so much colour. And um, we hope that we're going to do a much better job than what we're currently seeing out of Qatar and hosting um, these wonderful fans and these wonderful teams. 
Um, so, look, it is something that's on the horizon. More immediately, though, we do have this Wellington Phoenix team with some young players, but also some established firms, and they'll be looking to put forward their best case to be involved in Klimkova's plans for the World Cup. This is not something that they want to miss out on, and it's going to be a supremely important A-League season for these players. And to be honest, the players throughout the A-League, but importantly, those that will be under the microscope in yellow and black. Pretty important day yesterday that they got off to a good start. Um, as you say, they went into the break and uh, all of a sudden they came out five second half goals, but they unfortunately conceded four of them. So um, a little bit alarming that. It was. And I think there's a combination of factors at play here that I saw. Um, they were adventurous with the ball. They obviously wanted to be positive, but at times there was a lack of precision. There were some passes that were put simply too loose. Um, played into the defensive structure that Melbourne City were putting out at times. And look, let's be fair, Smitty. Melbourne City are a team that do have ambitions to be in the final series. They will uh, be one of the teams that does look to upset the apple cart and knock off either Melbourne Victory or Sydney FC. Um, but things have rather play into their hands at times. Um, Maria Rojas, Cote uh, Rojas, she is a, such a wonderful player and really tormented Kate Taylor and Zoe McMeekin down the right-hand side for the Phoenix. Uh, when one-on-one paddles, uh, she went past people. Her movement was fantastic, pulled people out of positions, and then also brought other teammates into the game, which is exactly what uh, Dario Vidicic wanted to see from um, Rojas, who was leading the line. The Phoenix as well, I think at times, once the ball got into the box, there were a couple of soft goals that they did concede. Holocene is, is definitely not a soft goal. That was a wonderful strike, but... Rojas danced uh, in between the back line and then threaded it into the near post for the second goal of the day. And that was, I think, uh, a blot on the defensive record of this Wellington Phoenix team. Look, they are resilient. We've seen that in abundance last year where they were really tested in their first season in the A-League. This season, we're going to need to see that resilience turned into effectiveness. And we want to start seeing them not only accumulate points, but good and put in good performances and yesterday I think we saw a good performance for around about 45 to 60 minutes and then it seemed there was a bit of a ceiling that was hit. Uh, Jacob, uh, whilst there's a little bit of a hiatus in uh, the men's A-League because of uh, the World Cup, uh, perhaps not a bad time to just take uh, a little bit of a a report card from you after six games into the season, the Wellington Phoenix, uh, eighth on the ladder. What's your take on that? I think they've been very close, Smithy, on a number of occasions. Look, that eighth could easily be a fourth. Had they seen off Western United, which they should have done uh, in the last game before the World Cup break, then we would be talking about a side that would be in the conversation for that second tier underneath Western Sydney, Wanderers and Melbourne City. Um, I think, again, we've seen a... Not a slow start from Ufuk Tali, but definitely not a start that will replicate or reflect where they will be, I think, in a couple of months' time. Um, there is the expectation that comes with this Phoenix team this season. Tale has got them either in the playoffs or he's got them in the conversation for the playoffs in every season that he has been in charge. This year, he's kept together a core group of players uh, that did well for him over the last two challenging seasons. Uh, he's added... To that, some really exciting signings in Krayev, and I think Savard has actually been um, a bit of a low-key achiever in how he has provided a foundation for other exciting players to be brought into the game. 
Um, and so it'll be about getting the alchemy right. And I don't think he's settled on a starting 11 yet, so expect competition for spots coming out of the World Cup break. I think the other thing that is starting to niggle me, Smithy, is the sense of record. Put simply, they've conceded far too many games. I think it's in three of their matches so far they've conceded two or more games, and that is that's too much. It's not the not the not what come to expect from a Tale side. So at the moment, I think B um, B plus because of the promise um, uh, that they have shown, but we need to see that turn into effectiveness. You were busy uh, yesterday uh, looking at. Um, uh Football another level down, but uh, two uh, clubs with great history, uh, Auckland City and uh, my very own Miramar Rangers, which takes me back about uh, 55 years. Um, Auckland got up to win 2-1 to book their spot in the National League final. How's the, that level of football for you? Yeah, it was, um, it was a game that Auckland City simply needed to pick up the points, so they were pretty pragmatic. It wasn't um, a game that had fireworks for the full 90 minutes. Uh, Miramar definitely an undercooked side. Scott Hales said at the start of the match that they had lost players to opportunities um, that they were seeking to provide their players throughout the course of the season and weren't re- able to replace them. So they were definitely an understrength team. Um, Auckland City, you can very much see the fatigue setting into Albert Riera's team. Um, they've been going since around about February. It's a very long season for them. Um, they have come up with the trophies um, at every step along the way. The OFC, um, they've won that. The Champ Cup, they've won that. The Northern Regional League, they've won that. They're looking to get their fourth trophy in the cabinet. But it really is time and, and the investment of energy that is starting to wear on them. I think if you look at the overall structure of the league, it's the first season that it's been in operation. Um, I would say that there has been a bit of a curving um, of the of the quality, um, as uh, we've seen a bit of a dilution um, in in the teams that have competed in the National League. Um, I don't say that there, I wouldn't say there's been all of National League quality, but it's a great opportunity to to demonstrate that you can go from regional football into the National League over the course of the season. So let's celebrate that. Uh, in terms of the final, I think everyone thought it was going to be Wellington Olympic and Auckland City at the end of the day. Two of the best teams in the competition. For mine, they have two of the best players in the competition, Jack Henry Sinclair and Cam Howison. Garden Coffin is probably the other player that I'd put in that conversation but I think in two weekends' time, we are going to see um, a, a true fight, a real arm wrestle. Wellington Olympic, the fresher of the two teams, the more motivated of the two teams, they'll look to take the game to Auckland City. And Auckland City, for them, it's really going to be about defending their castle, giving it one last push to confirm this themselves at the top of the pile. And then to also, importantly, get that position in next year's O-League. That's the real big ticket, which is the pathway to the Club World Cup. Right, let's talk about the biggest ticket of all, Jacob Spoonley. Uh, the World Cup got underway uh, this morning, <coughs> creating history, actually. Qatar, by being the first home nation to lose the uh, opening game of a World Cup in 92 years, losing 2-0 to Ecuador. Uh, what did you make of that? That's definitely a World Cup of a lot of firsts, buddy. Um, that's for sure. <laughs> um, they were disappointing incredibly disappointing. This is a side that has been backed by its government to the extent of $200 billion. 
Um, they're playing the World Cup opening game, as you said, in their own backyard. They haven't played club football for six months. They have simply concentrated on this one moment. And they came out in a back five. Um, and I could only think that was to provide numbers um, because they didn't believe that they could actually take this game to Ecuador. Um, El Shabib in goal seems to be a liability, um, particularly under the high ball. I can't see this World Cup going particularly well for Qatar. And the frustrating thing for me is that they have put so much money, they've, put, they've had so many arguments about this World Cup, set aside the issues with human rights, set aside the issues with um, the migrant workers, those who have died building this World Cup. And at the 60-minute mark, you've got a stadium that's half full because the locals don't want to show up. They don't want to see their team um, lose uh, in, the way, in the manner in which they did. That's... That, for me, just that, that, that cuts across everything that the World Cup is about. It is a celebration, and if you don't want to celebrate the World Cup and having it and hosting it, then you don't deserve it. Mm. It's, uh, I think we're going to hear that uh, quite a lot, uh, Jacob, throughout the next uh, month or so anyway. Uh, tomorrow morning, uh, of course, games of note. In particular, England's debut against uh, Iran. So is that uh, what you'd call an easy start to proceedings for Gareth Southgate or not? <laughs> No, no, it's not. Um, I think this is going to be an England side that is really um, weighed down by uh, the the expectation that they will be facing, uh, particularly at home, but also for the, the travelling media and fans that they do have. I think Gareth Southgate has a tendency to be very conservative. He's probably got one of the best generations uh, in England's footballing history, not necessarily in the 11 that we've put out in the park, but for the depth and the range of options that it can employ. The side can change um, throughout the course of the tournament, but also across the, the 90 minutes. And what we've seen from him is that he's gone for those defensively solid players, those players that he really trusts to execute his game plan. And when he does that, I think we've seen him sacrifice um, the ambition, the excitement uh, that these players can create. Um, I look at Trent Alexander-Arnold, for example, and um, obviously being a Liverpool fan, I'm a little bit biased in this, but he is somebody that is wonderful going forward. He is somebody that can bring in those really exciting players um, further up the pitch. But Gareth Southgate simply just doesn't trust him, it seems, and, and won't utilise him. So there's a cap that's been put on um, not only the individual uh, contribution from his players, but also it seems to be there's a cap on what this England team can actually go out and achieve over the course of the World Cup. That said, Smithy, a World Cup semi-final and a Euros final, um, he has proven himself to be um, an astute manager across tournaments. Um, I think they'll need to have a comprehensive win to really allay anxieties about what this team will do in Qatar. Jacob Spoonley, always great to catch up with you, mate. Love your enthusiasm for the game. And uh, we shall catch up often, I'm sure, within the next uh, few weeks as the World Cup unfolds. Have a good day. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, cheers, uh, Jacob Spoonley uh, with us there. Emotional scenes on the 18th green at the CMU, CME Group Tournament because Lydia Coe has won it. She's won it by two shots. It was uh, a few tears between her and her fiancé, I'm assuming it was, um, a caddy, families, incredible scenes of emotion, and uh, Lydia Ko, a very, very, very popular winner by the look of the reaction from the crowd as well. as 9.48 here on SENZ.
Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Multi today. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs play this afternoon against the LA Chargers. That's Sunday night football at $1.39. Uh, the Washington Wizards to beat the Charlotte Hornets and the NBA. That's at $1.46. And the football tomorrow morning, I've gone for the USA and Wales to draw at $3. So USA, Wales to draw at $3. That multi's out at $6.08. Kansas City Chiefs, Washington Wizards and the draw between the United States and Wales in the Football World Cup with their uh, Group B game tomorrow morning. Uh, great scenes, absolutely great scenes. I've been watching out of the corner of my eye. Uh, tears streaming down the face of Lydia Ko on becoming the CME World Champion for this year. $2 million bonus check as well. Not a bad day out for Lydia. Not a bad day out whatsoever. It is coming up to 10 o'clock. 1476am in Auckland. This is SENZ. It's Kiwi for sport. Pumped to behind the mic. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Talkback time with Smithy. Call now 0800 150 811. Yeah, 10.03, we invite you to call us. Uh, 0800 uh, 150 811. A quarter of the month will win an Oklahoma Joe's uh, Blackjack Charcoal Kettle Grill. Thanks to Able Living. So we uh, thank them for that. Um, and we've got uh, John on the line already. Uh, John from Auckland. Good morning to you, John. Smithy, good to have you back on here. Um, I, I told your producer, Brian, I was going to start with the All Blacks, but I might as well start with the Black Caps. Um, what a terrible performance last night. I thought um, Williamson, in particular, you know, he's scoring runs. That's brilliant. He's, he will be our best ever batsman. Um, but just his strike rate, mate. I mean, 51 balls to score 61 runs. You know, it's it's getting to the stage where we might have to say you should just stick to ODIs and test cricket because that's where we need you the most. Look, I, I totally agree with you, John, and we've been uh, talking about this. Uh, I talked about it with uh, quality uh, cricket commentators, former players in Australia as well, and they, you know, they're all we're all fans of Kane Williamson. Make no doubt about that. Uh, you know, he's been a terrific player, but his whole life has been based around the fact that, you know, and he's built up a wonderful record on the fact that he hates getting out. Um, you know, and, and yeah. in T20 cricket, you can't afford to have that kind of hate. You have to have um, a desire to do well, but you have to be prepared um, that it's not going to go well from time to time. So, look, um, it has to be, uh, uh, is he good enough to make an attitude adju- adjustment there? I don't know. Does he want to make an attitude adjustment? But... We don't do enough damage uh, for too many deliveries for mine at the moment uh, when you consider what's uh, going on. You compare uh, that performance last night by his uh, opposite number who scores 111 and one ball less. Uh, you know, you, you just can't compare that kind of thing, John. You're dead right. Yeah, yeah. And and, and just watching the World Cup, because you were there as a commentator, you know, the teams that we did beat were out of form and, you know, below us. And then when we came up against the nitty-gritty sides like England and Pakistan, you know, we just had no um, tendency to go after the ball uh, besides um, Phillips, who was great. But, yeah, I, I just I just think this, this team at the moment, if they're going to continue on this route, was going on the wrong path. And um, 
that's not the way of the future for T20 cricket. Uh, but in saying that, like you said, Williamson's a great player, a great seven for New Zealand cricket, and he should still be there in a test and ODI capacity, I think. Mm, I, I agree with you. And I'm not hanging my hat uh, on Finn Allen yet either. A two-ball duck again last night. So uh, let's wait Just let's just uh, wait and see on Finn Allen without putting all this pressure on him and saying he is the man to replace Martin Guptill. He's the guy we've got going forward. Uh, he's got to find some consistent form, otherwise he, he can't be. Uh, John, so yes, uh, there's the, that's the cricket side of things. And uh, of course the All Blacks, the last eight or nine minutes was a bit of a horror show. Yeah, yeah, just quickly on the All Blacks, mate. Um, I thought for 70 minutes they were the best team in the world. They showed that they had the capabilities to beat anyone. And then the last 10 minutes when Barrett came off, um, they were the worst team in the world. And that was quite a, a contrast, actually, that um, reflected the year quite brilliantly, um, how this All Blacks team has gone about it. Um, just going into next year, I think they should keep to that starting lineup, barring any injuries, because um, that front row, did you see our scrum? Didn't falter once. Mm. And that English, yep. that English scrum has been destroying scrums all around the world. Um, so, yeah, that's the way of the future for me. Uh, just quickly before I go, I want to acknowledge Toa Samoa, their supporters. Mm. Um, just absolutely brilliant all over the world, from Las Vegas to Auckland to Hawke's Bay to Wellington to Brisbane, Melbourne. And, you know, they're really showing the way for world sport for supporters. I totally agree. I mean, I, I was uh, driving around uh, Hawke's Bay uh, over the weekend and the number of uh, flags uh, being uh, out of cars around the place uh, was, was quite quite uh, unbelievable to see, John. I, I haven't seen that for all-black rugby. I haven't seen that many uh, all-black flags uh, when it's come to World Cup times. So, yes, it was, and, and hats off to their wonderful support group globally. Uh, yes, Joey, good morning to you. Joey from Auckland. Yeah, good morning, Smitty. Welcome back, mate, from last week. Thank Look, you. Um, just about the, uh, the 2020 World Cup with Guptill, um, I couldn't work it out. You know, they they said they they play Nisham as a as a, a all rounder. He never he never bowled one one ball in that World Cup. You know, and so so why would you play him as an all rounder and not put you could you could have put Guptill in at at if you if you didn't want him opening, you could say he could drop in after. Williamson, and just say, go for it. We know what you can do. And against Pakistan, Smithy, his, his, one of his best averages is against Pakistan. Pakistan don't like playing against him because he's, he's played very well against Pakistan. And I just couldn't believe that they turned around and said, between the captain and coach and the sen- or senior players, whatever, they said, oh, we'll play Nisham. Don't get me wrong, Jimmy Nisham is a good all-rounder, but they never bowled him once in the World Cup. So what's the point of, of, of playing him? You know, I can't work that mm. out. You know, well, I, mean, I guess, I guess just... he was uh, he was an insurance policy if the bowling didn't go well, uh, Joey. And and I, I get where you're coming from um, in terms of uh, straight out specialist batsmen. Uh, there's no comparison between Martin Guptill and uh, and Jimmy Neesham for me. And he didn't fire with a bat either. So maybe that was something they could have looked at, but they tended to just go with the status quo. But very good observation, Joey. Yeah, also too, just Smithy on the All Blacks, um, you know, fantastic, you know, first 70 minutes. And then Bowden Barrett, we always seem to get these guys getting sent to the bin. I thought he was a bit hard done by, but, and then, and, and we, we just fell away. Obviously with 14 minutes, very hard, but we, you know, we beat, we beat um, not a bad Japan side. We beat a Welsh B side. We beat a Scottish side that were down... And we draw with England, which we should have never have lost that game. 
No one. Mm. If, if Richie McCaw was playing in that game, we wouldn't have lost that game. But that's how it is. And I just can't see us winning the World Cup for the, uh, the way we're going. I, I can't see a massive improvement. I like the way they've, they've changed uh, the players with Jody Barrett at, at 12. I think he's devastating at 12. But um, I just can't see us winning the World Cup, to be honest. Not at the moment. I think France will win it myself. But, um, mm. you know, you've got to be improving. And, and they're not, you know, they, they scored a try through an intercept. Fair enough. Well done. But, you know, they haven't scored. I mean, that try of Iwani's was very good. But that was through a, a cross kick. And I couldn't work out why, with two minutes to go, we didn't hang on to the ball. Um, and just, I, I know we could have given away a penalty and they might have kicked the goal and won the game. But the, the kick that um, the halfback did, Perinara, was it, you know, nothing under. I mean, if you want to, they should have kicked it deep and, and mm. let them attack from, from the back. That's how I see it. I don't know how you see yeah, it. Yeah. I- no, I, I totally agree with you. That that kick from uh, TJ, one of his last acts for uh, quite a while, because of course he's broken down now. Joey, I think that uh, has been one of the most talked about kicks um, in the twenty four hour, the ensuing twenty four hours after uh, that particular final whistle. Why uh, they gifted possession away to England in such a good field position was uh, quite strange. Willie was John from Christchurch. Uh, good morning to you, John. G'day, Smitty. How are you, Bill? Good, thank you. Thank you. Nice to hear from you. Yeah, you too, mate. Listen, um, yeah, I'm in the same boat as everybody else, mate, in a lot of aspects here. I, I, I don't see in, who in New Zealand cricket actually thinks it's acceptable for us to actually play in the manner that we are playing now. Um, you know, like these guys like Kane and even Conway, I, I actually, I'm not a fan of Conway being at the top either because he blocks too many balls as well. And once they keep blocking and blocking and blocking, the game's going away from them the whole time. And you could just see last night what was going to happen straight away. As soon as someone went out straight away, um, as in Finn did, um, we're going to be going backwards the whole time. And see Kane doing it the way he was, um, I just don't know what the answer is. Oh, and more to that, like I'm with you on the Finn Allen thing, I actually think, um, well, it makes it a bit of a mockery of not even giving Guppy a crack at the World Cup when, uh, as we know, and everyone knows, that he's one of the most destructive um, white, white ball um, batters in the world when he gets in, but... Finn Allen's had one good inning so far and um, yet Guppy doesn't even get a chance and um, now they've put on the back burners. I'd, yeah, I don't know, mate, what the answer is, but um, I just don't see how New Zealand cricket thinks it's acceptable, or acceptable for us to play the way we are under Kane's leadership. And Kane, the one, that's probably the biggest um, problem there. So what do they do, yeah, uh, you know? It's got to change. There's no doubt about it, uh, John. Uh, the, it ha- tactically, it has to change. There's no doubt about that. You make some really good points there. It just does... It does have to change. We can't continue to just uh, drift along like that. Uh, we need more urgency at the at the top of the order. We we just can't say if Finn Allen uh, gets out, then uh, okay, we'll just go revert back to a, a nice safe start because nice safe starts don't cut the mustard. Uh, they simply don't. You've got to continue to gamble. You've got to keep continuing to throw caution to the wind, um, and you've got to be prepared to to lose wickets to do that. But you've got to be prepared to lose two or three. Um, and, and the hope that one or two of your batsmen are going to come off and give you that lightning start. Uh, w- w- we're not doing that at the moment. Uh, we're not playing risk-free free cricket. We're playing slightly um, hesitant cricket, I think it's fair to say, and that's been complimentary. Joe, good morning to you. Joe from Gizzy, great to hear from you, man. Morning, Smithy. Great to hear you back on the uh, on the wireless. Hey, uh, just uh, first big ups to the Wellington University Football Club. They did a 45-hour constant football game to raise 70 grand for Gumbridge Friday over the weekend. 
and uh, wow. looks like it's only in the Guinness Book of World Records. So first up, that's a, that's a feat in itself with 18 players playing constantly for 45 hours. And uh, great donation to Mike King's amazing effort there with the Gumboot Friday. Hey, um, lo- looking at the sport over the weekend, I mean, the best thing is our young trampolinist who got up and, uh, you know, defeated the Chinese for the first time since 2007, taking a world title, uh, young Mr. Smith. But I just think, prior to going up to the Northern Hemisphere, everyone on the show was saying we'd lose 4-0. And we, we do lose the last game on the weekend there to England in, in a poor state, and I'm... I'm 100% on your side where we shouldn't have to use the entire bench every week, every week. You know, and, and this time, it didn't work for us. And once again, uh, we got a man in the Simbin, and, uh, you know, and it backfired on us. But, but let's not forget, England were camped on our line for probably 18 to 20 minutes of that, that game where all the penalties went our way. Normally, we would, we would have a yellow card and probably a man in the bin halfway through them being camped down along with our foot pack. But Reynard seemed to find penalties to go our way each time. And so I didn't think England were as bad as everyone's making them out to be. But I'll take, I'll take three wins in a draw, the way we were before we went up there, and everyone thinking mm. that, you know, it's, it's calamity, Smithy. But uh, I just think we, we've developed players. I mean, Mr. Talia's come onto the pitch there as an all-back at the end of the season. No one would have picked him as an all-back this season. And yeah, he, a couple of defensive issues against Scotland there, but played looks like an All Black, and he's had a great couple of years working his way through North Harbour and, and Auckland rugby. But I mean, what we've what we've got now is we've got a foundation of players that we can choose from. Different players are injured. Different players, have, you know, we've got we've got the amazing Ethan Blackadder coming back next year. But I think we've got a great pool to take up to the World Cup next year. And everyone's going on about the French. I watched the French against Australia in three tests, and Australia missed three penalty goals at the end of each match to lose those three test matches against the French earlier in the season. So I can't see us being that worried about the French. Yeah, they'll be at home and they'll have a home advantage. But when we look at where we are for what we are, I think I'll put us in the semi-finals at a cakewalk. But, you know, and then it comes down to the refereeing. We adapted really well, Smithy, you know, in the last few games because the refereeing mm-hmm. is very different up there. All right. And the one thing that's getting irritating is looking at the TM, TMO just interfering constantly with calls. And I don't know if you watched the Irish game with Ben O'Keefe uh, refereed. And he, he called a call in the middle of the game, let it go. TMO came back to him and he turned it over to a penny, which ultimately cost him the game. So what we're looking at here is the All Blacks. I think mean, I'll give the All Blacks probably a, a, a B- minus for that tour. You know, they, they won. They came on, they won from behind. They won against a very vigorous Japanese side, and they, they lost them in front to, to a draw, which is ultimately a loss in everybody's eyes. But I, I think mm. once we look at what we've got going forward for next year, Super Rugby, Antonina Brown come back. You know, I, I couldn't believe they had two plus five sitting on the bench and two blinds of Franco sitting on the bench. But they've developed an entire squad with guys who have come back, and a great celebration for actually not losing, unlike uh, Miguel Army, who lost a ton of teammates to Brody Vitalik, who played 100 games for the All But I, I just think we've got a little bit of depth here. We've got a little bit of time. Actually, we found out is good at this, this level now. Yeah, our front row has developed. No one would have picked that front row beginning of the year, Smitty. You know, nobody. And now you're looking yeah. at... You're looking at us some Super Rugby coming up. We just don't need some injuries, and we're going to get some. Yeah, OK. You know, our halfback blew his ACL during the weekend. But we're going to lose one or two for the year. 
on the Super Rugby, it just always happens. And then it's trying to mm. see how we can put ourselves together to go up to, to France. And, and we're just bagging, you know, we just seem to be continually bagging the All Blacks at the moment. Everyone's looking for Razor, Razor, put that chat aside, right? We're just going to go with what we got there. Yes, they got it wrong on the weekend. Yes, the bench came on and for once didn't fire up. For once didn't fire up. Normally, always fire up. But now we're going to say, right, put it away. It's in the rear view mirror. Everyone's going to bag them. Foster's going to come home and get bagged again. But we can't change what we got. You know? But we don't have the depth of, 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 of players that we thought we had, but we've developed those ones that we have got. So now we're just looking to say, hey, what's going to come with Super Rugby? Who's going to put their hand up as a bolter? Who's going to be that guy who, who no one knows about now? Maybe Ruben Love, you know, Wellington's going to play an outstanding hurricane season and move himself straight into their all-back squad. Uh, you know, remember, we, we didn't play um, a lot of the Canary players who everybody thought would just waltz into that all-back back line. And, and it's just like, are all the second five eights gone now because Jordy Barrett's going to be a second five eight for the Hurricanes this season? And that means you've got two, three, four, Harvey, uh, Leonard Brown, uh, all playing for one position on the outside. You've got Jack Goodhue to come back. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's a lot of nicking around. But I think, I, I think we're still there. I'm, I'm pretty positive about the All Black Smitty. I'm, uh, you know, I can't, can't just keep hearing everyone begging our team because if Richie McCall was there, well, Richie McCall ain't there. Right, and uh, you know we still lost a few games with Richie there. Let, let's be honest, but let's just see how we go next year. And you know, we can't go any worse than than the cricket at the moment. But I tell you what, uh, Al Sharif had a great weekend, didn't he? Didn't he, Smithy? Getting uh, Darcy Bama, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, also on the group two at Pickerel on the weekend. Oh yeah, I know the I know the horse you mean. Yeah, that was a, that was a good finish for the week for them. Yeah, um, name name eludes me as well. But you're, you're right, Joe. You made some excellent points there. I thank you very much for your call. Uh, and you, you know uh, you've taken a sort of a stand back attitude uh, very very quickly. And I like that. I, I, I like the fact that you've sort of taken a. Uh, it's almost like you're thinking about it about a week or a month down the track rather than both just being reacting to 24 hours. So Joe, thank you very much uh, for your call. And uh, that'll be it, folks. Uh, it's 10.20 here on SENZ. Thank you very much for your impact uh, this morning when we requested it. Great stuff. Jeremy Paul here, ex-Wallaby. Do not forget to listen to Mark Stafford between 12 and 4. Best four hours of your life every weekday on SENZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Talk, big opinions, the panel. 10.25 here on the uh, SENZ in the mornings, um, and we have as panellists this morning uh, Mr Aidan McLaughlin and Mr Mark Hinton, and uh, Aidan McLaughlin uh, out of Havelock North. Um, what did you make of uh, that performance yesterday, particularly in the last uh, 10 minutes, and what about your report card for the season, Aidan? Yeah, morning, Smithy, and morning to you, Mark. Um, <clears throat> I think probably the last 10 minutes kind of reflected the season in many ways, didn't it? It's um, a season of two halves in many ways, which was topped off by that draw. Uh, you know, a very disappointing start to the season with the, the, the home series defeat to Ireland, um, defeat to South Africa, uh, some changes in the coaching regime, but then 
also a defeat at home to Argentina, so four wins out of the, four losses out of the first six. Uh, I think Joe Smith and uh, Jason Ryan did have a, a significant impact for the second half of the season, and I think generally there were some good things that did come out of that that tour at the end of the year. But really, the last nine minutes show that there's still a long way to go. It's in a way, it may be a blessing in disguise. Had they won that game uh, and then won the last seven games in a row, we might be going into the the summer break thinking, hey, things are a little bit better than they are. But this just kept them in check a bit. Um, and probably, if I look at the overall season, I don't know, maybe a C minus, Smithy. It's interesting, C minus, because. Uh, I would say, um, Mark Hinton, if, you, if I said to you at the start of the year, we'll keep the Bledisloe Cup, we'll win the Rugby Championship, and we'll have an unbeaten Northern Tour, normally you'd give it uh, slightly higher than that, but would you? Uh, no, I'd, I'd score it around about that, Smithy. I think um, four defeats, a draw, um, eight wins. Um, they, you know, they were one... One defeat off it being the worst ever record in the profession, equaling the worst ever record in the professional era. So, so you couldn't, you couldn't say it's been a good season. And um, uh, I think that, yeah, that last test in, in, encapsulated really, um, I guess, kind of the mental weakness or the lack of consistency this team has, which is a big concern. Look, Ian Foster is rigidly clung to the positives, hasn't he? And, and, and I guess in many ways that's a coach's job. You know, it's to, it's to be positive, it's to find the, the light, I guess, at the end of the tunnel. And, and you can't blame him for that. Um, and, and he did achieve some significant things, Smithy, with the All Blacks. Um, from where they were at the start of the year, losing at home to um, Ireland, um, getting, you know, well beaten, um, First up in South Africa, you know things were really unraveling. Based on, uh, follow, you know, following on the heels of those two straight defeats in the north, so it was looking pretty ugly. So there has been a correction, there have been improvements. We have to acknowledge that, but are they where they need to be to win a World Cup? Certainly not. And this lack of consistency, this lack of mental strength um, in key moments, this inability to hold lead—they're uh, all real concerns. Uh, uh, because to win a World Cup, as, you, as we all know, you've got to win three big games in a row, especially so when your quarterfinal is going to be um, either Ireland or South Africa. You, you know, you're going to have to get up three weeks in a row. And at the moment, that's the All Blacks Achilles heel. Look, they have the ability. There's no doubt about that. They have the players. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But are they where they need to be? Nowhere near it at the moment. And I think Twickenham, the frustrating 80 minutes, or particularly the frustrating last 10 minutes that New Zealanders all felt, rip that up in neon. This team has a long way to go to be where they need to be. Okay, cool. Uh, thoughts there from uh, Aidan McLaughlin and Mark Hinton. We'll take a, a very quick news break, uh, and when we come back, uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, the Black Caps, I think. And how about the Breakers? How about those Breakers? What a start to the season they have had. We'll be back shortly. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Talk, talk, talk to me, yeah. Well, let's uh, stay on uh, a couple of uh, topical subjects. And uh, yes, uh, this uh, FIFA World Cup, Ada McLaughlin, I'm sure you're pretty interested in that as well. And I just, we're only just underway and uh, the build-up it's had with all the human rights issues, etc., that could end up being the ugly World Cup, the way things are starting to look. Yeah, it's been a long build-up, hasn't it, as well, with uh, with the fact that this uh, Russia and Qatar were both named as tournament hosts, uh, I think it was about 12 years ago now, so it's been a very, very long build-up. But, 
Yeah, I guess if we look at the first match, um, Qatar have been in a camp, a pre-tournament camp for about seven months, but uh, I think what it's shown is that time and money cannot buy you a great football team. It can buy you a lot of things, but it can't buy you a great football team. So um, it's pretty deflating for the hosts uh, to go down 2-0 to Ecuador. I think Ecuador are ranked about mid-40s in the world, and Qatar aren't, aren't that far behind them on the rankings, but I think they're a world away in terms of experience and ability. Um, and it could be a really, really long uh, couple of game, group games for them. You know, they've got um, Senegal on Friday, which I would imagine will be a fairly similar result. And then they've got the Netherlands in their last group game. So it could actually get quite ugly for the hosts. Um, but with everything else that's going on, I guess this is the great shame with the last two tournaments, whereas we're so used to talking about the football and there might be a few little side stories. Everything in Russia, well, not everything, but a lot in Russia and so much here in Qatar is about the stuff off the field, which is really sad because every four years we all want to get together and watch a really good football tournament. Yeah, well, it's the beautiful game, uh, supposedly, Mark Hinton, but at this stage, uh, not a lot of beauty attached to it. They need some really good football. They need some superstars to emerge on the field of play very quickly. Yeah, they'll get it, but it is a strange World Cup, isn't it? It's the first one I think they've had in the in the season, as it were. Um, so it kind of crept up so, up on us in a way in terms of the football, because you know players have literally been plucked out of their their club competition to go and play in this World Cup while they're being suspended. So it is odd that way. Uh, yeah, the fact that it's in Qatar, this tiny little country in the Middle East. Um, yeah, we all know the backstory to that, um, and that. Um, yeah, it needs the football, doesn't it? And it will get it. Uh, the football will be fantastic. That's a given. It's the Football World Cup. But yeah, early signs are not promising. 67,000 at Albate Stadium. Uh, it was only half full by the end of the game. The fans were chanting, we want beer, we want beer, in reference to the ban um, uh, on alcohol at the stadiums. Um, and only about 30-odd thousand were left it by the final whistle. Look, things are, <laughs> things are a bit shaky um, in terms of that money, it, it, it can't buy you a football team and it can't necessarily buy you a, a, a fantastic global tournament. So, yeah, it's on the footballers now, isn't it, to save this tournament. I feel like it's teetering a little bit, but I have faith that they will. Uh, the world's best footballers, when they get on the pitch together with um, their country's uh, colours on their backs, they'll produce and, and we'll soon be talking about the football. But in, in a way, Smithy... Um, Talking about the human rights type things um, is probably not a bad thing. The spotlight goes on uh, some of these countries that I guess, um, you know, probably deserve to have it on them. So it's a fact of the matter with this World Cup. Human rights type issues stand alongside sporting issues. Modi Mayor, Mark Hinton, has found it. He's found the the recipe, even with a a nightmare weekend of uh, trans-Tasman travel. The breakers uh, 84-76 over last year's runners-up, the Jack Jumpers, and, uh, and then 89-83 uh, against Adelaide. What a start for the breakers. Yeah, remarkable, really. Considering the draw they've had, I mean, you know, the NBL was sort of falling over themselves to thank them for what they went through the previous two years. And they've rewarded them, rewarded them, Smithy, with the draw from hell. I mean, literally, they have a succession of Friday games in far-flung places in Australia and expected to get home in time to play Sunday afternoons. Um, you know, it's borderline stuff, borderline um, what you're asking for professional athletes and borderline actually log- logistics to make it happen. The Breakers got home 
from playing Tasmania in Launceston, which is not an easy place to get back to Auckland from, um, at 3 a.m. on game day, uh, and still managed to come out and, and get a win. So, um, yeah, you're right to highlight Modi Mayor um, has got something special going on this year. They're 8-3, eight 8-3, and three, eight and three, I think they're... Uh, uh, Right up there with the defending champs and a, a team that you know is well resourced, the Sydney Kings, uh, and, and breaking away from the rest of the league. So they're in a really good spot, and it is quite amazing that it's been achieved through this really nightmarish schedule. These are high character players that Modemayor has assembled. He promised um, he would have it, and he's actually delivered, which has been really amazing. Um, this is a really good group from three imports who play hard and play together and play with their teammates um, and understand their roles to a whole bunch of guys who, who are New Zealanders and Australians who come in and, and know exactly what their coach wants from them and they all play really, really hard D. So, look, if you haven't got on board the Breakers bandwagon and there's been a bit happening in sport in New Zealand, hasn't there, in the last few weeks, so it's understandable. Maybe if you've missed it, get on it because these, these guys are, are delivering finally after a few shaky years, it's fair to say, uh, they are delivering quality basketball and characterful field uh, sport, Smithy. And sometimes that's all we can ask from our from our teams that they play hard and they play together. And these guys are definitely doing that. Well, that's an interesting point to move on. A nice segue to move on to uh, the Black Caps then, Aidan McLaughlin, because uh, that is a pasting last night. Uh, uh, it's not the full strength Indian uh, side by any stretch of the imagination, although uh, Surya Kumar. Yadaf would make many sides around the world, if not all of the sides around the world. 111 off 51 balls, overshadowing what we came up with. Any concerns for you there, uh, Aidan, on that performance or uh, post-World Cup? Well, I think there's plenty of concerns. Um, I think that the Black Caps have come back and there's a lot of talking about, you know, taking on the lessons of the, of the tournament that's just been and always looking to improve. Um, but what did we see last night? We, we saw India, as you say, um, that, that innings uh, was, from Yadav was just incredible. You know, 111 off 51 balls, 11 fours, seven sixes. And it went from being probably a 160, 170 score, uh, and he just accelerated away and got it up to 190. And, and to be fair, uh, only for the, uh, the, the rule changing where... Uh, if, if there's a, a crossing, the crossing, you know, takes no effect. So he couldn't actually get any deliveries in that last over. It could have been well over 200. So I think the issues for the, the black caps are that Allen gets out quickly again. Okay, that happens the way he plays. But then for me, if that happens early, Phillips should come in at three. I think you need to have Phillips come in at three, uh, take advantage of those fix, first six overs. I think with Williamson and Conway, they're just too similar in that first six overs. Uh, Phillips comes in at the start of the ninth, I think. I mean, they're already well behind the, the eight ball. Um, they need Phillips in earlier because he is the sort of player who can get 111 in 50-odd balls. He can do that, but he needs time to do it. So um, the also the, the concerning thing for me with the ball was that they just seemed to run out of a few ideas. They seem a little bit, you know, stuck in the headlights there towards the end of their innings. So, yeah, I mean... It can all change around the fickle nature of T20s. It can all change around very quickly tomorrow night. But, um, yeah, I think they need to tinker. I think they just need to be willing to make those decisions depending on what happens early on in the innings. Yeah, well, in terms of the bowling, uh, Mark Hinton, we're uh, quickly learning that life without Trent Bolt might be interesting, particularly at the start and at the end of, of an innings. But 
Yeah, by and large, uh, for me, we just can't sit. We just can't sit uh, and and just meander along. We we have to keep working things out. And whether that means we need uh, a revamping of the coach-captaincy scenario, I do not know. But it seems to have been the case in other countries. And if you look at the England, England example in particular, it's worked beautifully. Yeah, Smithy, it just feels to me like the Black Caps are a team that, that are between eras almost at the moment. Um um, and sort of clinging on to an old one while we're, you know, frantically trying to refresh, refresh at the same time, and and, and just haven't quite figured out the formula, have they? Um, look, they're very competitive. A semi-final appearance at a T20 World Cup, not to be sneezed at by any stretch, and you know, a loss to a to a, you know, an Indian team with a player like Yadav um, uh, spearheading them um, again. You know, no no disgrace, but it just feels like they're just a little bit off the very very best and the mark they need to be at to compete at the very highest level. And, and, and I, I agree with you. I think there needs to be some sort of change. Look, there's an enigma in Kane Williamson, isn't he? He's our best batsman uh, and one of our greatest batsmen of all time. But, you know, he needs, you know, he just can't score quickly at the T20 level. So I just wonder, I wonder if it's, you know, perhaps time to look at a refresh there. And as you mentioned, captaincy, maybe a, a spe- you know, a specialist captaincy to even take a bit of that load off him and maybe just even let him try to concentrate on figuring out how he can be more impactful at this level. Something's got to change, I think, Smithy, because it just feels like they're not quite there. And, and it's hard to put your finger on with, whether it's batting or it's bowling or it's everything, really. It's a bit of both, I think. Good news uh, out of the World Rugby Awards for us, Mark. Uh, just a quick review there. Uh, Wayne Smith, Coach of the Year. Ruby Tui, Breakthrough 15s Player of the Year. And Farah Palmer, Dr. Farah Palmer, getting the Vernon Pure Award for Distinguished Service. So, and getting a few gongs in, out of that. What a wonderful year it's been for our women in sports. Smithy, Lydia Coe winning today. Uh, well, you know, one of her biggest paydays and, uh, and a real comeback sort of statement from here um, as well. Um, fantastic, isn't it? Just continues on. A thoroughly deserved award for, for both Ruby and Wayne. Um, you know, I, I think we all know what they what they produced and good to see that being rewarded. Smithy turned that team around within six months. He didn't do it on his own, but he was certainly the figurehead of it. And it was quite remarkable what they were able to achieve. And Ruby Tui, um, I think when you think about our sports people, Smithy, I think she's one of the very, very special ones. And I think we should all be very, very happy um, and grateful that not only do we get to see her perform, but we get to see her in front of the cameras because, um, I think she sets she sets a bit of a tone that I think we in the media would like to see others follow. Well done, Ruby Tui. You're pretty special. Yep, Aidan McLaughlin. I'll give you uh, the last thoughts on that. She is special. She's just got uh, uh, you know something. Maybe it's because of her upbringing. Um, you know, we've heard stories of just how tough it's been uh, at times for her, and she's just broken out there and, and involved this personality, which is so engaging that you kind of feel that you give her a job anywhere, she'd make it work. Yeah, I think, you know, rugby fans have known that she's got that personality, that charisma for a number of years now. But I think the great thing about the last six to eight weeks has been that the whole country has seen that. Uh, And I just think that she is so, she's enthusiastic about everything she does. I think, yeah, she's absolutely... uh, you know, a sponsor's dream, isn't she? She she could literally promote any brand she wants now, and I hope she gets plenty of opportunities out of it. But you get the feeling that she will stay grounded. Um, I have no doubts about that whatsoever. And I think that now that people have learnt as well about 
the extremely hard upbringing she she had via her book uh, that was released recently. Yeah, amazing personality, amazing person, and just really so representative of the positiveness that this Blackburn's side has brought to us over this last few months. Absolutely. Aidan McLaughlin, Mark Hinton, thanks very much for your contributions on the panel this morning. Um, some brilliant thoughts there. And we'll have another panel uh, same time tomorrow morning here on SENZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Certainly some uh, mixed feelings in the text uh, this morning about uh, where you perceive the All Blacks as being. Mark says uh, on that performance, the All Blacks are only a slim chance of uh, winning the World Cup. Uh, Rory says TJ came on and does uh, a nothing little kick that didn't go out or find distance down the field and gave England in the opportunity and the ball to score a try. Enrico is uh, not an All Black centre. He looked confused on defence when marking up. So there were Rory's thoughts uh, on that. Um, Smithy, hi Smithy. I texted him last week about the New Zealand T20 side conservatism. Again, it read its head last night. Why is this team so afraid tactically, selection and attitude-wise to change things up? Uh, and for the love of God, when are we going to give up on this ridiculous notion that Mitch Santner is an all-rounder? We need to select him or each side, not because it, it leaves us a batsman short. Teams know when they get Jimmy out, it's game done. I'd love to see Guppy at five, drop Nisham down one. Why not try it, John? Why not try it? Uh, John, they've certainly got to try something. They've got... This is a series where they can uh, look to experiment. Uh, I would like to, th- to think that they, they would do that, just, just for the heck of it. Uh, you know, we, we know what some of these players are capable of doing, um, but w- we need to know if they can uh, put the foot on the clutch and, and change gears uh, and get through the gears very quickly uh, because at the moment it doesn't seem that the attitude is there to want to do that. Um, uh, Chris says I went to the cricket last night what an amazing atmosphere after uh, India scored 119 with a brilliant uh, innings when we batted and Kane Williamson was getting singles or dot balls in the power play the crowd was groaning something had to change also uh, All Blacks a C plus no All Black season should score less than an A cheers uh, from Chris yeah um, interesting that that, uh, the crowd were getting involved um, because Kane Williamson has been Absolutely, absolutely the most uh, popular cricketer we've had for donkey's years, it seems, and everyone tends to back him in every situation. But it doesn't appear that uh, that support is uh, absolutely unanimous uh, at the moment, particularly in T20 cricket. Test matches and that coming up again, so uh, we'll just see if uh, that uh, is uh, that is going to change a- at all. Um, Ricardo, get a, I wonder if it's our Ricardo. Uh, anyway, Ricardo's come in and said, Hi, Smithy. Uh, we roasted the English for kicking the ball out in the last second, uh, but uh, uh, but are giving Perinara no credit for trying to win the game with a kick and chase. It didn't work, but could have. Not a great result, but he was playing without fear, which is what we want. Okay, nice observation. Um, Sean is saying, Smithy, and talking about the Black Caps here, do we, we need to change, uh, start with a change of coach? I think we need to change, uh, start with a change of attitude, whether it comes from the coach or whether we need to... Uh, uh, perhaps just uh, say to Gary Stead, uh, test matches have been great, the one-day internationals, fantastic, but we need to revamp it, um, and we're going with someone else, so you can concentrate on your two forms of the game, and we'll build a T20 squad around about playing dynamite, fast-paced cricket. Maybe that's uh, an option as well. It is uh, 10.52, thank you very much for your texts. Uh, we'll be back shortly uh, with a quick chat to the TAB.
Yeah, good chance to catch up with uh, Paul Moati from the TAB. And uh, Paul, I've, I've got to say, at one stage uh, early on uh, Sunday morning, you guys would have been looking to pay out on a fairly healthy all-black win, and all of a sudden, uh, hold fire and it's a draw. What uh, what effect did that have on the book? Uh, yeah, that was pretty good for us, to be fair, uh, Smithy. Um, there were a, a number of, uh, I guess, punters who were... Very, very keen on the chances of the All Blacks in that uh, test match against the English. Um, and so we had a significant liability on the All Blacks to win uh, and also on the All Blacks to win by 13 or more. So that last 10 minutes uh, really turned things around and um, the draw sort of, yeah, yeah. It wasn't the best for punters, to be fair. There were a few who jumped on the draw um, and good on them, but the bulk of punters, not surprisingly, on the All Blacks and the All Blacks to win comfortably. Okay, what are the options today? There's a bit of NFL, I, I believe, and some, uh, of course, some some football in the early hours of the morning too. Yeah, that's right. Um, NFL, the big game on later on this afternoon, the Chiefs and the Chargers. We've got a bonus back promotion on that. Just head to the uh, Punters Lounge to check out all the T's and C's. But it's all about the Football World Cup at the moment. Uh, and we've got uh, a bonus back promotion on selected games in the Football World Cup. And we've also got a same-game claim promotion on selected games in the Football World Cup. So once again, check out the uh, T's and C's in the Punters Lounge. And we've got a Football World Cup hub that's got all you need to know um, and all the options that we've got and all the boosted odds and all the power plays. Um, so check that out. There's plenty going on there. As you say, there's three games tomorrow morning. England taking on Iran, Senegal taking on the Netherlands, and the USA taking on the Welsh. We've got some boosted odd options on all of those games there. Um, one that has been uh, fairly popular, uh, Bale and Pulisic were top goal scorers for their countries in the World Cup qualifying, both scoring five each. We've got a Bale or Pulisic to be the first goal scorer in that USA-Wales match, boosted out to $4.50. That has been well received by punters. Almighty, as always, with that golden information from the TAB. League after the break here on SENZ. 1476am in Auckland. This is SENZ. It's Kiwi for sport. Behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Texts have uh, come in. Uh, Smithy, yeah, great news for our golfers. I think uh, Foxy got a bonus as well. This is from Anthony for getting second on the European Order of Merit. Can the All Black coaches please leave players on when they are still going well? That's uh, one of my points, actually. I don't see just because you have uh, reserves available to you, substitutes available to you on the bench while you continually have to use them if things are going pretty good at that time. They just seem to uh, feel as if they have to use everyone, every single game, even if they only come on for a minute. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. Um, Jimmy Smith uh, is with us. Uh, Jimmy Smith, uh, of course, uh, is a noted rugby league commentator. Jimmy is also uh, doing a job on SEN 1170 at the moment because uh, he's uh, doing the breakfast show. Vossi is uh, overseas. Greg Alexander, I think, uh, may have been overseas as well. So uh, Jimmy Smith is there. We're, We're just trying to get Jimmy back. I saw he was there. And he just dropped off the line. So uh, hopefully we'll get him back on his thoughts over the Rugby League World Cup finals, plural, over the weekend. And major disappointment, of course, uh, for our Kiwi Ferns, who were absolutely pummeled, weren't they? Thrashed 54-4 to 
That's not a good result. Uh, and uh, in the end, the Kangaroos completed their three-peat of titles by beating Tua Samoa 30-10 to 10, with a very strong performance at the end. So, uh, you know, it was plenty, plenty to look at. I mean, it, it was uh, very, very tough, very tough all round, actually, to, uh, to be able to <coughs> see what to watch at the weekend. Absolutely, absolutely tough. So, uh, yeah, I can see, can I see Jimmy in the studio in New South Wales there? I can see he's got a thumbs up there and I can see him but uh, Logan you're gonna have to tell me if I can connect to him so just waiting to hear uh, if we've got uh, contact with uh, Jimmy Smith at this point um, another uh, cricket uh, cricket last night we'll get back to that actually the, the other texts that have come through because we've got uh, Jimmy on the line which is great Jimmy good morning to you Uncle Ian how are you yeah, very, very good. I uh, like the respect too, my friend. I love the respect. <laughs> uh, hey, uh, look, great weekend for uh, rugby league because uh, at the end of the day, um, it's been crying out for a successful World Cup. Would you, uh, aside from the fact that Australia scooped the pool, would you, in terms of the game in general, a successful World Cup, yeah? Uh, on every metric. And yeah, it's fantastic. Obviously, it hasn't had international rugby league for a couple of years and there's obvious reasons for that. Um, they needed to get back there and have a have a successful cup there was talk around the crowds and and how many were there or weren't there but there was a uh, they maintained ticket pricing which was unusual for the north of england so financially it was a success the emergence of this time samoa last time it was tonga tonga were there strong again but almost the emergence of england again as a a really strong rugby league nation was was good for all to see as well the semi-final, Australia versus New Zealand, I think it's clear they're the best two rugby league teams in the world. There was literally nothing in that high-quality game, 16-14, the Kangaroos won, and then they were probably clearly the better side against Samoa, but what a great story, the Samoan team making that final, and some incredible scenes coming out of the final as well. Huge support from the locals for the outsiders, Samoa, but in the end, James Tedesco and his Kangaroos side were, were just too strong, too many stars, and in the end got the job done pretty comfortably yeah interesting uh, that they did I think it was 14-0 at half time uh, and then of course they just uh, ran away with that dominance in the second half you, you touched on that the emergence of uh, Samoa Jimmy I've got to say where I live in Hawke's Bay not a huge rugby league province I think it's fair to say but the number of Samoan flags I saw out of car windows etc uh, around uh, our province was indicative I think of just how it caught on Little Samoa is the way we describe Campbelltown. Uh, a mate of mine was there on, on the Saturday morning, so we had the game on Sunday morning. But Saturday morning they were there, and uh, same thing. Cars with flags, streamers everywhere, people very proud of their heritage and, and really willing this side on. I mean, it, it was in the west of Sydney, it was very strong, obviously. And, and, and there's as many people of Samoan background who live in the USA as live in Samoa. Um, it's nearly the same in New Zealand, and there's just shy of 100,000 in Australia as well. So there's the diaspora is all around the globe and um, everyone was supporting Toa Samoa and, and, and rightly so because they'd done exceptionally well. Um, there was a lot of interest and there was a lot of anticipation given the players from the NRL who'd put their hand up and then when they come out and get beaten 60 points to six in the first game, it all evaporates and all the pressure starts to come onto the side. But from that point, they, they steadied themselves and then they found levels that they hadn't found previously. And you know, guys like Junior Barlow and, and Jerome Luai played absolutely superbly during the course of the, the tournament. And, um, you know, that, it was worthy that they made the final. Um, I think it was also 
worthy that Australia won in such a fashion. It's also, uh, I think, a great reflection too on on the NRL, Jimmy, because uh, of course m- most of these sides, uh, particularly the Island Nations, Australia, of course, the Kiwis are made up from players uh, from a mixture of NRL clubs, and I, I just think that the, f- the fact that you can draw them out of a competition and so quickly turn them readily into competitive uh, international teams augurs well. Yeah, it's great, but it's left us with a bit of a conundrum, Ian, and that is. What do we do around state of origin eligibility? Like state of origin is the jewel in the crown of rugby league from a commerce point of view. Financially, it's worth so much. It's all bundled together in this NRL deal that that Channel 9 and free-to-air television has paid for over here. But <clears throat> it's worth so much more than, than, than um, you know, if it was debundled. Um, but do you run the risk of devaluing that? If you allow people from, like, should Victor Radley, who's wanted to represent England, should he be allowed to play State of Origin? He's played all his junior rugby league in New South Wales, in the New South Wales rugby league system. Jerome Luai was born in Samoa, but from the age of two was growing up and playing all of his rugby league in the Penrith system. So the New South Wales rugby league system there, should he be still able to play for New South Wales? Same with Brian Toto. Does does it devalue state of origin, or does it create extra value from an international point of view? But the challenge around that is that, that rugby union is very used to playing international games, and, and, and the super rugby competition fits to that. The NRL, they don't fit to anyone. They just run their own competition, and, and next year it's 27 rounds plus four rounds of finals. That's 31 weeks. Where do you fit international rugby league into that? They've gone Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday to state of origin, And previously, the weekend State of Origin game allowed you to play international rugby league that allowed Tonga and Fiji and Samoa and New Zealand to be able to compete. When do they do it now? It's, it's, hey, it's great the Kangaroos won, but Mal Meninga's asked a really legitimate question on the back of that World Cup, and that is, when do the Kangaroos next play? And no one knows the answer. Well, that is crazy um, because uh, you've got to cash in. You simply have to cash in. Um, and there is some talk of, uh, well, Samoa are, are wanting to take the game as far reaching as the USA to spread this global feeling because, as you say, the population, we, it's, it's, it's when you have world events like this, you actually understand the, the, the spread of population as much as anything else. 30% of all Australians are born overseas. You know, to, to see, and you would have seen it firsthand, Dean, to see the support for India and Pakistan at the T20 World Cup was phenomenal. 90,000 people at the MCG. Australia's going to play England in an ODI tomorrow at the MCG. There will be lucky to be a fifth of that crowd there. Uh, and, and, you know, and that's for a lot of, lot of reasons. But um, I agree. Like, I, if you want to extend international rugby league, and, and people have talked about the USA for a long time, and all, the, the two NRL clubs that get mentioned is Manly and the South Sydney Rabbitohs. And why? Because they've got a Hollywood star supports Manly and Hugh Jackman, and a Hollywood star owns South Sydney in Russell Crowe, and and that's the tenuous link to the USA. But if you want to take a game of rugby league there, take Samoa versus Tonga there, because the audience is inbuilt. You know, the, the the following that you would get there from the the former Tongan and the former Samoan and those who identify uh, with that ancestry would be absolutely huge. And then all of a sudden, you're making a bit more noise. And then people outside of that start going, okay, well, what's this game that you're interested in? Uh, and then you've, you've, you've got something to work with. I, I'm amazed. I know they did it a few years ago, but 
The All Blacks have played games in the USA with great success. The Wallabies have played games there with great success. Given the emergence of rugby in colleges and universities over there and, and the Sevens program for the USA, I can't believe that the Wallabies, who are cash-strapped at the best of times, aren't playing a game in the USA every year just to further their brand. Yeah, it's interesting, actually. The next T20 World Cricket Cup is a, a shared gig between the USA and uh, the West Indies. I think the USA will dominate that on the money front. Uh, West Indies got none. Uh, but uh, let's uh, look, too. Can we just uh, slight, very quickly look at... Um, we don't want to look at it too closely. 54-4. <laughs> the Jillaroos the got their act together and uh, severely dominated uh, the Kiwi fence. 54-4. But uh, still good for rugby league and more exposure there for the women's side of the game and... Uh, more more uh, teams and more players coming into the women's NRL. Uh, isn't it fantastic that when you look at a, a, a Gillaroo side that runs out and you're critiquing why they've selected uh, uh, Sammy Bremner at fullback and not Emma Tonegato? You know, you, you're doing it not. It's there's no tokenism associated with it. It's it's actually wow. That, that's okay. Brigginshaw's been able to hold her position in at, at halfback. That's going to be interesting. Well, Brigginshaw comes out and was player of the match in that and, and she was up against Racine McGregor who's the, the golden boot winner and the Dally M winner and, and to see her face after the game just completely uh, desolate the, the just so devastated with the way things played out. I anticipated a much closer game. They were superb the Gillaroos. You've got to give them credit um, the big players stood up. I talked about Brigginshaw but Bremner was great Tonegato got on there Kennedy Cherrington scored a couple of tries as well. And Jess Sergis, who's an absolute star, along with Isabel Kelly, they scored doubles as well. They're they're just so strong against a a Kiwi side that provided, or the Silver uh, Fern side that were so dangerous in the lead-up. Nearly beat Australia. And, you know, if things went their way, probably would have beaten Australia. They missed the kick from basically in front. Um, Yeah, it was a surprise result, but it was a very pleasing result from Australian rugby league point of view. Uh, Jimmy, um, I guess now um, a lot of head coaches are looking at players and recovery periods, etc. Going into uh, the NRL pre-season, none more so than uh, Ivan Cleary, of course, and the Penrith Panthers, who are heavily populated throughout these sides. Uh, Do you see any hiccups there for NRL sides going in as a result of this timing of this World Cup? Uh, it's really interesting about how players are now ticking over. They they have, as per their CBA, which hasn't quite been completed, but they're working off the old one. These guys get eight weeks holiday. They won't be back until January in their preseason. But what we do know now, Ian, is that they all tick over. They, they all do a little bit of something because they know. And even though they don't have to be in, the clubs are monitor, uh, monitoring them and just saying, okay, well, guys, you need to look after yourself because, you know, they, the, the season starts a week earlier. 2023 because of the 27 weeks so everything's happening that bit earlier the trial games are a bit earlier for Penrith and and this is the interesting thing they've got the world club challenge now they don't have to go to the UK they're going to do it in Penrith but from what I understand everyone in the Penrith squad is putting their hand up hey we want to play in this game so that's going to be about six weeks after they return for pre-season so to be to be football ready, to be rugby league ready within the space of six weeks, that's going to be a challenge physically. So they need to be doing something in the lead up to that, and I'm I'm sure they will be. But they they get a well deserved break at this point, Ian. Uh, and just finally, of course, uh, one thing they won't have uh, Penrith Panthers, or one person they won't have is Andrew Webster. Of course, he's now the head coach of the Warriors. Give us some hope for our season forthcoming, please, Uncle Jim. 
uh, I think uh, has been an NRL coach in waiting for the last couple of years. Andrew Webster, um, you know, went to the finishing school out there at Penrith with with Ivan Cleary and, and what they do there. And of course, Cameron Serraldo is another one uh, out of that system that's going to be in the hot seat for the Canterbury Bankstown Bulldogs. Um, from what I understand, Andrew's greatest strength is his relatability to players. So, um, getting the best out of individuals, I think that's probably something that. Um, the Warriors haven't been able to do over the last couple of years. Um, I'd like to give you a whole heap of hope, Ian, to, to the listeners as well, but I'm not sure the Warriors are a top eight side next year. Okay, thank you very much for ending on such a positive <laughs> note for us, mate. <laughs> hey, hey, no, no. It'll, it'll, what, what's that? Sit. You're never going it'll... to invite me back? Fair enough. <laughs> no, 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 you're back. You're a regular now. Uh, hey, and, and uh, the reason why is that was great. Uh, enjoyed talking to you, Jimmy. Um, thank you very much. Hope to catch up in person at some stage along the line. Thank you, mate. But as a young bloke who used to watch you play international cricket, it's been my privilege, Ian. Thank you. Appreciate it, Jim. Thank you very much. Uh, have a good day. Thank you. Uh, it's 11.17 here. Jimmy Smith there out of SEN uh, in uh, New South Wales for us. Uh, when we come back, we shall be talking to our very, very own Aroha Hathaway. Uh, Aroha is going to just give us a little recce on uh, the Formula One season, how she saw it uh, now that it's, now it's uh, pretty much done and dusted. Pretty much done and dusted. Sad face. Sad face. We'll get some happy face. Happy talk out of Aroha very shortly. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 11.22 here on SENZ and uh, you hear this beautiful voice on the half hour here on SENZ but now we're going to just uh, step it up a wee bit because uh, Aroha Hathaway is our, um, I think it's fair to say, is our resident expert on Formula One motor racing and she's a little bit sad because it's uh, it's come to an, an end but not for Max Verstappen fans whose record has been I'm most unbelievable. Happy that, I'm most happy about not seeing him on TV for the next few months. <laughs> yeah, on the podium like every weekend. I just got hate mail through the ether from the millions and bajillions of Max Verstappen fans. I bet you there are more Max Verstappen fans than Twitter users who voted for Donald Trump to be back on the platform. That's a definite. <laughs> he did really well. It was really lovely to watch yeah. him um, maturing and look comfortable. I think there's something about Lewis Hamilton. There's just some sort of alchemy there, some sort of weird chemistry that it just Max becomes prickly. So when he was taken out of the equation, but we got to see a, a more relaxed Max. But the last couple of weeks have been a bit tough on on Red Bull because they've been – well, cost caps aside, then there's, you know, the Max throwing Checo under the Formula One bus, uh, not letting him through to try and help with Checo coming second in the championship. And the way that it was handled, the whole PR machine was a bit off. If you're just interested in the racing, you probably don't care mm. about any of that stuff. But because of mm. programs like Drive to Survive, the, the drama, I think, gets ramped up tenfold. I don't know if they're consciously – because I don't know of any other sport where – the, where the competitors and the coaches and the referees and the commentators are all allowed to just have a crack at each other openly, publicly, mm. on a microphone and a live broadcast. Can you imagine if we could hear the conversations that coaches and players have about other teams? 
It would just be, that would be another kind of reality TV. No wonder it's doing so well on telly. Mm. What are your questions, Smithy? Is there anything you want to know? We know who won the thing. Uh, uh, Let's tell us this fellow, this, this Verstappen, as you call him. I love the pronunciation. Verstappen. Um, Verstappen. Uh, I, I just want to know if you look back in, in the past, who does he remind you of as a Formula One driver? What about his emergence? Does he, do, do you look at someone and say, yeah, that's some reinvented? Short trip back to the past. Yes, he reminds me of Lewis Hamilton. Lewis used to be what? aggressive yeah. when he was younger and very feisty. Um, he comes from a I'm sure that they would not like anyone saying that they're similar, but they're so similar. All the things I don't like about Max when he was a younger driver were the same things that people didn't like about Lewis. Lewis used to be so feisty. I remember in a press conference, he was like, don't touch me, man. You know, he was like, dude, are you 12? Come on, you're getting paid a few million dollars a year. Let the dude touch your shoulder. Calm down. Um, but it's kind of like you're taking these very young men and you're putting them into a high pressure cooker. And I, I'm not. A, I've never been a young man, and mm. I don't know what it's like to be one. But I've raised one, and I watched what he went through in his teens, older teens, and into his twenties. And you're putting that age young man into a rocket ship with other people and firing them at each other. So I see them very similar. They're so they're so similar. Actually, I think the most competitive drivers have all had that level of. Um, there's probably a word for it that you can use in 2022, but I, I want to say mongrel in them. Mm-hmm. And they okay. they're just a bit. You know, they've got big egos. They think they're the best on the track, and they won't let anyone pass. And I think that's what happened with Max and Checo. So that's what I think. He's and he's maturing, although he is still 12. It's not 12. <clears throat> I think he's about 13 by now. Um, <laughs> anything else you want to know? I mean, Ferrari yes. locked, locked out that second place. They got rid of yes. Mercedes taking out the second place in the championship. Um, that last race for Mercedes, despite all the lovely things leading up to it, was just a bit meh, a bit rubbish in the end. I just stopped watching by that point. I just wanted to watch Sebastian Vettel cross the line, and then I was done and dusted. So let's look at the, this, this points margin of, of victory and in the team's championship as well. Not that long ago, a lot that long till the season starts again. How do they close the gap? How do they stop being a, a Verstappen and Red Bull show already next year? I think How do they do that? If teams had easy answers to that, Mercedes wouldn't have won seven. Um, mm. And Red Bull before that wouldn't have won four. So I think when you've got a good car... You are so far ahead. So what happens is the higher up you finish, the fewer hours you get in the wind tunnel for development. Um, You get more money, but you get less time to develop your car. The thing that's going to hurt Red Bull this year, maybe not a lot, because they just seem to have got... Um, they've kind of got the the rocket that gets to the moon and everybody else is still kind of just breaking through the atmosphere. Uh, they get fewer hours in the wind tunnel as well because of the penalty that was applied to them for breaching the cost cap. So I think if you're a Ferrari or a Mercedes, you can't bring the money anymore like they used to. That was how they used to beat beat it. Now they have to bank on things like more time in wind tunnels 
and have their game. They have to have a game plan for development as well. So one of the things that Carlos was talking about was that they developed the Ferrari very well in the beginning and then Mercedes was constantly upgrading in the later part of the season and so was Red Bull and Ferrari wasn't, so they fell behind. Not in the last race, though, which is ironic. Anything else you want to know? Yes, just finally, I do. Did I I cry? No, 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 I want to know something more important than your tears, and I've got to say that they're very important. But here's the thing. Uh, Liam Lawson had a great weekend. um, What a weekend. uh, Finished finished Formula 2 in third position overall. How excited should we be about Liam Lawson? I nearly lost my voice for that kid because I I just – he's – you know, we've got a couple of drivers in Formula 2 and Liam has just made the most of his opportunities. He got in that car in free practice for Red Bull. You know, he's driving Max's car, like no pressure, no pressure. Mm. Can you imagine sending that into the wall like um, Antonio Giovinazzi did the other day? Like, oh, uh, he's, a, he's driven a Formula 1 car for years and he crashed out. So here's this kid. You know, if Max Verstappen's 12, this one's 10 and he's driving a car and one of the comments he made afterwards was, he has been in the simulator and he never believed the car could really go that fast. So that's scary when you're driving it and you don't actually believe the, the speedo, you're going that fast. So not only did he do that, then he chucks it on the front row in the sprint. Did he chuck it on the front row? Might be making that mm. up. But he wins the sprint, not allowed to call it a race, and then goes on to get third in the feature race, which then puts him in a really good spot, third place in the Drivers' Championship. And if we're looking at having a vested interest in Formula One in New Zealand, because we don't really have anyone to cheer for, we have to make up our own team. You know, if you like the colour orange, you like McLaren mm. or Max Verstappen. Mm. So if you have a New Zealander in there, it's going to be much more enjoyable, especially a good Hastings boy. Can't beat a good guy from the Bay. The Hawks Bay, I should add. Uh, the Hawks Bay because we lost the rugby match. Uh, Ottawa, as always, fantastic to get your little update on the uh, insides and outsides of <coughs> Formula One and for Liam Lawson as well. And it's coming up to around about 11.31, which means you have to sprint from one chair to the other and uh, give us a, an update on the, the news. So uh, thank you very much to uh, Arawa Hathaway there. Um, and it's also a good time for us to say, give us a call. 0800 150811. 0800 150811. Uh, we have got uh, some uh, money from the TAB for you if you're good enough to win uh, Stump Smithy this morning. We'll be back shortly, but here's Araha who's made the trip safely. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, it's time for Stumped here on SNZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Just a few more to go before Smithy wraps up for the year. Smithy, Wednesday is your last day. I don't know if we've broken this news yet to the listeners, but it is. I can't believe this year's almost gone. Yeah, it's just about done, isn't it? So, yeah, an early finish to uh, the year for me, and I've got uh, some obligations to to meet in terms of some cricket commentary. So, um, yeah, it's like uh, a little bonus gig at the end of the year for me. So <laughs> uh, I love my cricket commentary. I, and, I, you know, every now and then you, you go to a World Cup and you, you mix with all the guys and you think, gee, I'm missing this. Um, and I have. So um, fortunately for me, an opportunity's come up, so I'll take that. Uh, but I'll be back next year um, and uh, just a slightly earlier Christmas break, that's all. 
Nice. I, I would take it too far with you, mate, and we love listening to your commentary. But to the point at hand here, we're stumped. Of course, $50 TAB bonus bet is up for grabs. You talked about the Bay uh, just before, Smithy. I know this is a guy who's been wanting to say this to you while you've been away. Craig from Tauranga. Come in, mate. You mean from the Bay, right? <laughs> yeah. That's the yeah. one. How you doing, mate? <laughs> I'm doing good. Good morning, Smithy. Yeah, good morning, Mo. I apologise for my slip of the tongue before it just old habits die <laughs> well, hard. But, you know. <laughs> no, I think you caught it pretty well. You caught it pretty well. <laughs> yeah, I got it back. Hey, uh, listen, here's the thing. Um, we've got uh, we've got a prize available for you uh, this morning. Uh, Craig, I know you're a big rugby man, so just a quick um, synopsis of the year for the All Blacks for you. Uh, average, I guess, would be, would be you know, probably... I mean, retained the Bledisloe Cup, obviously, and and um, and won the rugby championship. So you can't be too disheartened, but just the performances, you know, average. Average would be be the word I'd use. Um, next year's the important one, right? So uh, it is. I, I, yeah, I've, it is. Said, yeah. I've, I've said for a long time when when there was a lot of foster bagging going on that um, I don't care who who's the captain, who's the coach. I have my opinions on who I would have, um, but I don't care who it is. I'm right behind them. They're, they're all blacks on my team. I'll support them uh, no matter who's there, and I, and I do wish them all the best, but the next, next year's the big one. Yeah, next year's the big one. Actually, I got a text from uh, from Jeremy actually saying, what a game. We certainly outplayed England. Our great team of the 11 to 15 era had to go through some losses and bad games to get to where they were. This team needs to go through things to learn from this will only help. So uh, Jeremy's uh, pretty positive about the whole deal. Right, subjects this morning for Craig. Logan, what have we got lined up? All right, this is what you can choose from, Craig. We've got Rugby League, Rugby, and Formula One. Take your pick. Oh, jeez. Let's have a crack at Formula One, eh? Ooh, all right. Good luck. course we just had Araho on talking about it all right first question for you Craig who is the for- Formula One drivers champion for this year Max Verstappen just a couple of chips down the wicket right in the slot and away it goes I probably would have given you bonus points if you uh put the Verstappen on it Smithy uh, yeah uh, who wrote that question I mean that's the easiest question we've had in the history of Stump Smithy. <laughs> <laughs> we'll right. see. We'll if see. It's the, next, it's the next two, right? We need a couple more like that. What team did he drive for? Come on, man. <laughs> Jeez, I'm not, I'm not bowling all full tosses here, mate. All right, second question for you. Name the highest finishing British driver. Oh, George Russell. Yeah, I'll go with George Russell. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Yeah, all Smithy could do is just applaud. Yep, going well, Craig. Absolutely. Now, number three, the important one, number three. I promise this one isn't quite as easy, but we'll see how we go, mate. Name the youngest driver to ever win Formula One World Championship. Oh. The youngest driver. Let's go with Lewis Hamilton. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy, he whiffed on a shot finally. It's over to you. Yeah, he did actually. Uh, You bowled him uh, a slightly more 
uh, tough length to put away there. So what I will say is, I reckon we've talked about, uh, we've mentioned this guy with Araha this morning, um, on the basis that uh, she was waiting for him to cross the finish line, um, and that, and then she was happy then. So I'm going to go with uh, Sebastian Vettel. That's a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Yeah, yeah, there's the one. I, I think Araha's doing a little dance right now in her booth uh, over there. That is right, Sebastian Vettel. 23 years, 4 months, 11 days. Lewis Hamilton was 23 years, 9 months, 26 days. So just a few months between them. But Smithy, we got a stumping from you. Congrats, mate. Yeah, we're going to build up the poll. Uh, thanks very much for taking part, Craig. Hard luck on that one. But uh, yeah, it's just uh, something I picked no, up well from Araha in our chat, actually. So there was a sentimental answer involved in there, Sebastian Vettel. Right, uh, it's 11.39, um, and uh, that, of course, will jackpot tomorrow morning. So around 11.30 tomorrow morning, get on the blower, and you might pick up uh, 100, 100 from the tab. We'll be back very shortly. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, in case you missed it, uh, the opening match of the Football World Cup in Qatar was between the hosts, Qatar and Ecuador. Here are the highlights of that match, which was far from sparkling, I think it's fair to say. Ecuador looking to get their way in here, and the Valencia's have been tipped up in the box. Clear off the line, penalty. And the goalkeeper gets yellow carded as well, so a caution early on. Enna Valencia, the captain, he plays for Fenerbahce now in Turkey. Formerly of West Ham in the Premier League, is Ecuador's all-time leading goal scorer, and now with the golden opportunity to add one more to his tally. For the opening goal of the World Cup, Enna Valencia strolls in and rolls it down the right sides. And now this time, this time for certain, Ecuador get the first goal of the World Cup. And they really have thrown down the challenge to the home nation. Ecuador 1-0 over Qatar. Caicedo takes it over. There's a lot of space for him to attack here in midfield. Ecuador runs through the gap. Tried to thread it through towards Plata. Bounces back to him on the ricochet. Leaves it behind for Preciado. Swings across him. The header. Oh, pinpoint perfect from Enna Valencia. That is sumptuous. That was accurate. That was a dagger from Enna Valencia. Ecuador's captain has a double in the opening half an hour. And he has placed that in the tightest of corners in the bottom left goal face. Felix Sanchez, the Qatar coach, is bereft. Ecuador 2-0 up. And who took him to be golden boot at the start of the tournament? Two goals for the Ecuador captain to kick things off. Right, uh, of course, uh, the other match in Group A will be decided tomorrow morning. That is between Senegal and the Netherlands. So uh, classy Netherlands outfit on show tomorrow. It's about time they fronted up at a World Cup. Uh, and two Group B matches tomorrow as well, with England taking on Iran. That is a 2 a.m. kickoff for you English football fans and for USA and Wales. Uh, that game will be on. In fact, it will be concluded uh, during our show tomorrow, so throughout the breakfast show, because it's an 8 a.m. kickoff. USA against Wales, and I think that'll be a draw. There you go, and that's part of my multi for today. So <coughs> that's uh, England, Iran, Senegal, Netherlands, USA, Wales to look forward to and talk about tomorrow morning on the show. Uh, tomorrow, this morning, we've actually been focusing a lot on uh, Lydia Ko. Lydia Ko um, has been absolutely magnificent as this golf year has progressed to the point now where she has won the CME World Tour title with it, a cheque for $2 million US dollars 
her biggest payday even now. Um, and the emotion that I saw, and uh, I hope you get to see it as well between her, her fiancé, her caddy, the families, etc., uh, was quite revealing, actually. I saw a side of Lydia Coe I hadn't seen before. A- anyway, uh, here um, here are the highlights and the post-match presentation uh, for that event this morning. And now... It's official. Lydia Coe is a champion again at the CME Group Tour Championship. And the Player of the Year. Lydia Cole, on behalf of CME Group, all of uh, its employees, its clients around the world, we are proud to present the largest first place prize in the history of women's sport to Lydia Cole for $2 million. Congratulations. First of all, I've got to ask you about how calm you were able to stay in this final round. You looked very calm out there. You looked very relaxed. How were you able to do that? under such pressure against Leona in this final round? Yeah, um, I felt more common than I thought I would be, uh, which was more worrying. Um, you know, I obviously, there's a lot of things on the line today, and, you know, I really uh, wanted to play the best golf I can, and, you know, there were so many uh, big names uh, that was chasing Leona and I, um, so I knew that it would be a tough battle, especially with how tough the conditions were as well, but I just try to focus on my game. Um, you know, if, it, it didn't matter if somebody made a bogey or a birdie, I just wanted to make my share of birdies, uh, and if I did make, my, make a mistake, just know that there's another hole that I could recover from. It's your first win here since 2014. You also win the Rolex Player of the Year, first time since 2015, on your first multiple win season since 2016. What does it say about your game right now and your longevity that you're able to bounce back into this position? Yeah, this year has been um, an incredible year. I really could never ask for more to win so early in the season and then to have won in Korea and then win the last event of the year. I I couldn't have drawn it up uh, any better. And there's been so many exciting things in my life that's been going on. It's my, it'll be my last win as a single lady as well. (laughs) Um, So, uh, you know, it's... I wanted to do this for my family. Um, This has been one of the most consistent and solid years I've had. And I'm excited that my um, photo from winning here in 2014 with the glasses can get updated with a better photo this year with the blue jacket. She's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And and one of the things that I I continue to get reminded about uh, Lydia Ko is just how humble she is on a day-to-day basis and, and how well she relates to the media, I well recall when she first started that wasn't an easy thing for her to do, but now she does it so naturally and she's always so available and uh, she always talks to people uh, around the 18th green, those people that have been uh, around uh, her match for the day. She's always shaking hands with everyone, she's got a smile for everyone, she seems to acknowledge every single person that acknowledges her, she just seems to uh, have that way about her and yet we've, we've watched her grow up because she was such a child prodigy at the age of 11, 12 we've watched uh, golf fans in particular have watched this girl uh, mature from a girl into um, a, a young lady her appearance has changed markedly uh, as she, wrote, uh, she um, <coughs> alluded to there 
um, she just says she's grown before our very eyes, not just uh, as a golfer, but as a wonderful person as well. If there's a more popular uh, athlete floating around, um, uh, maybe uh, up there with uh, Ruby Tui, uh, I would be thinking that uh, Lydia Ko is, um, and I'm not just saying that because she won this morning, she just is an everyday Lydia Ko. Uh, she's absolutely special and about to get married as well. So a new chapter starts in her amazing, amazing life and what she's crammed in um, already is, is quite spectacular. She's, they're in awe of her. The commentators, you only have to listen to women's golf commentators to know how much they are in awe of her. A couple of texts uh, just before we uh, catch up with uh, Staffy. Uh, read the cricket last night was the way that Conway, Phillips, Nisham and Mitchell getting out, trying to up the strike rate, a result of Williamson hitting the ball at a lower rate for most of the matches. Well, it is. It is a sort of a roll-on effect. If you're only scoring at ones at one end, ones aren't good enough when you just do the maths. When you're chasing 190, um, you need nine to ten and over to win that uh, on a regular basis. So six and over is not helping you. So yes, that does have an impact on that. So you, you sort of have to throw the switch a lot quicker than you'd want to. Um, Sean's come in and said, what are the world rankings after the Northern Tour? We'll find out for you, Sean. Try and let you know tomorrow morning if they are published. Stephen has said, uh, Smithy, Kendra Cox edges tap kick and TJ's Perinara's box kick against England. In the final minutes, both could have had disastrous results. As Griswiley says, there's only one ball. Hang on to it. Uh, so, Stephen, thank you very much for that. And uh, Eddie, just the final one this morning. AB should have kicked long after when England, uh, you know, when the restarts should have kicked uh, long. We seem to be no good at short kickoffs in those pressure situations. So, observation there. Eddie, to uh, end your communications throughout the day, which I thank you for. Staffy shortly. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91